Shalom and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Gad Dishi from Alon Shvut. Today we'll be finishing up Parashat Vayishlach. We pick up in Perak Lamed Hay, Pasuk Tet Zayin, and we'll be going through the end of the parasha. Psukim breakdown is Psukim Tet Vav Techaf. Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. Chaf Aleph Chaf Bet is Maaser Uven, Reuven's act. Psukim Chaf Gimel Techaf Vav is a listing of Bnei Yaakov. Psukim Chaf Zayin Techaf Tet, Yaakov returns home. Perek Lamed Vav, Psukim Aleph Techaf is the Toldot Esav, Psukim Chaf Aleph Tolamed is the Toldot Hachori, and Psukim Lamed Aleph to Lamed Tet are the kings of Edom, followed by Psukim Mem to Mem Gimel, the Alufim of Esav. In addition to the parts of the Jacob cycle we mentioned yesterday, of the difficulties in childbirth and the Bechorah, we will also see here a listing of Toldot genealogies, which corresponds with the listing of Toldot that we had of Bnei Ishmael in the beginning of Perek Chafhei before our traditional Parashat Toledot. Bezat Hashem, at the end, I'll give a quick grand finale summary of the Fishbane cycle and why I felt it was important to make constant mention of it as we went along. Let's begin. Perek Lamedhei, Pasuk Tet Zayin. Vayis'u mi Bet'el, od kibrata aretz lavo efrata, vateled rahel, vatekash bededata. And they journeyed onward from Bet'el, and when they were still some distance from Efrat, Rachel gave birth and she labored hard in the birth. Yaakov traveled from Bethel, possibly a violation of the earlier command to sit, settle there, but I did not see anyone comment on the move being a violation, so we could perhaps understand the command of Veshev Sham, to sit there, that Hashem told him to stay there just long enough to build the Mizbeach. The words Kivrat Haaretz, the Ibn Ezra and the Radak say that the kaf there of the first word is a kaf hadimayon, and that the measure is Barat Haaretz, a royal measure for distance, the Da'at Mikra and Altar cite this and that in the Akkadian. Indeed, there is a measure for distance called the Beru Kakari, the Berat Karka, land, which is equivalent to about four and a half miles. Sukim Yud Zayin and Yud Het. Vahibak Shota Bedeta, Vatomelaham Yaledet Altiri, Kigamzelach Ben, Vahibetzet Nashah Kimeta, Vatikrashemo Ben Oni, Vahaviv Karalo Benyami. And it happened when she was laboring hardest in the birth that midwife said to her, Fear not, for this one too is a son for you. And it happened as her life ran out, for she was dying, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Binyamin. If you listen carefully, you can hear the last breaths of Rachel in all of the mapik haze of these psukim. Till the nefesh leaves, and then meta, a word ending with hey, but with no mapi, because there's no more breath, no more life. Kigamzelach ben echoes her desire that she mentioned at the birth of Yosef, Yosef Hashem Li ben Acher. Betzet nafsha, we learn elsewhere that the blood is called the nefesh, ki hadam hu hanafesh, such that the text may be telling us not only that she dies, but how she dies, that is, she lost too much blood. Her nefesh, her blood, left her. Betzet nafsha, her blood, ki meta. She calls him Benoni, and Yaakov calls him Benjamin. Significantly, Yaakov gives him his name, and Yaakov is identified as his father, emphasizing a special paternal bond. But I think many of us don't take the time to envision this scene. Allow me to ask, why for the life of him would Yaakov, while watching Rachel, the love of his life, bleed to death in his arms while he can't do anything about it? Why at this most tragic moment? Would Yaakov one-up and argue with Rachel's dying words about what to call the child? To answer this, let's spend a moment on the names, Ben-Oni and Benyamin. What do they mean? 
The Malbin explains that Ben Oni means that Oni means strength. For example, in Yeshayahu, Noten la Yaef Koachul En Onim Otzma Yarbe. God gives energy to the tired and to someone without Onim, without strength, He will give great strength. So Rachel named him son of my strength, and Yaakov named him son of my might, Yamin, the right being the strong side. Rashi explains that Yamin refers to the south, and they were traveling towards the south. So Yaakov wanted to name his son, born while they were traveling to the south, Benyamin. So, yeah, I have a very difficult time with these explanations because given the situation, it's hard for me to envision why Yaakov would bother to give a different name in order to propose a synonym, as the Malbim explains, or in order to memorialize compass readings, as Rashi states. Luckily, the Abarbanel and the Ramban provide us relief. They explain that the word Oni means bereavement, as in the Pasuk, Lo achalti be'oni mimenu, I did not eat of it, ma'aser sheni, the second tithe, while so now she names him the son of my bereavement, or even bereavement slash strength, with both meanings in mind. And Yaakov says, he will always be the son of strength, not of bereavement. He will always remind me of your strength, and of the strength of our love for each other, and the love that I will have for him. Of all 11 sons, this is the only one that Yaakov names, even Levi was, was him calling Levi a name that Leah thought of. The rest of the sons were called by their mothers. Therefore, Yaakov establishes a special bond with Binyamin already here at his birth. Pasuk Yutet. Batamot Rachel. Batikaver bederech Ephrata hi Betlachem. And Rachel died, and she was buried on the road to Ephrat, that is, Betlachem. Pasuk Chaf. And Yaakov set up a pillar on her grave. It is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So he buries her on the road and erects a matzeva. Why a matzeva? So the Abarbanel says that the matzeva is to show that a great woman was buried here. Additionally, we can look at the pasuk. The pasuk says, Ad hayom hazeh, that it will last a long time and will be a way in which she lives, lives on. It even works with our Mapik Hay reading that the idea of Kiburata with the Mapik is like through her memorial she breathes again. But I would suggest that in his distress, Yaakov may recall his own declaration of Whoever has the Trafim shall not live. And that he discovered not long ago that Rachel had the Trafim. Maybe he feels a tinge of guilt wondering if somehow his words had an effect. And moreover, he recalls also that whole episode in his fight with Lavan. At the end of that fight, he erected a Matzeva. He felt victorious, and he established that matzeva in contrast to Lavan's pile of rocks. It was the same contrast as Yaakov stressed, as when Lavan said, Avraham avihem. Lavan says to swear by all the gods, but Yaakov swears, Yitzchak, only Yitzchak's God. His one matzeva was one rock, and it represented Yaakov pitting the many gods as represented by Lavan's many rocks, against the one God, the one real God, by putting up the one rock, the Matzeva. And that's perhaps the significance of Yaakov setting up Matzevot wherever the one real God spoke to him. Here Yaakov uses this code to erect Rachel's Matzeva. Yaakov reasons, I may have four wives, but Rachel, she was the one. She is the real wife. She is the only one that ever mattered. If he can't ever share the secret of the conjugal switch with anyone, 
he will at least express his singular love for her with the singular matzeva that will always be there. And yet, with all of the painful loss of his one true love, strangely, there is no recorded crying or weeping. We get lots of reports about Yaakov crying on other occasions, like when he met Rachel, and when he met Esav, and when he believes Yosef is killed by wild animals. Uh, oh, sorry, spoiler alert. And we see Abraham eulogizing and mourning Sarah. So why is Yaakov silent? Were his eyes truly dry? The Dat Mikra addresses this point and suggests that Yaakov could not express his loss and love for Rachel in front of Leah and the children, as it would be offensive. I would add that if we factor in that no one knows of the conjugal switch, this argument is even more cogent. In my book, I address at length why Yaakov did not bury Rachel in Me'arat HaMachpelah, aside from the physical concern of possible decay, but I will not get into that here in the interest of time. So Kim Chaf Aleph Chaf Be. Vayisa Yisrael Vayet Aholo Mehala Lemigdal Eder. Vahi Bishkon Yisrael Ba'aretahi Vayelech Reuven Vayishkavet Bilha Pilegesh Aviv Vayishma Yisrael And Yisrael journeyed onward and pitched his tent on the far side of Migdal Eder. And it happened, when Yisrael was encamped in that land, that Reuven went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard, and the sons of Yaakov were twelve. Following the burial, the text records that Yisrael traveled. Nitziv explains that in Yaakov's attempt to overcome his sorrow over the death of Rachel, only Yaakov travels onward beyond Migdal Eder, to have time by himself. In recording Yaakov traveling onwards, the text relates that he pitched Aholo, his tent, beyond Migdal Eder. Here the word Aholo is spelt with a cholam, and as Adat Mikra explains, the word Aholo in that sense is usually a reference to the tent of the matron. So Jacob did not pitch his own tent, but rather Rachel's, in fact, almost reading it as Ahola, her tent. Jacob finds himself unable to break away from his true love and therefore clings on to whatever he can, taking Rachel's tent and leaving, living it in alone. Yaakov is acting out how he wished he lived his life alone with Rachel. It is while Yaakov is away in his mourning that Reuven lays with Bilhah, whom the text describes here as his father's concubine. But we know she wasn't a concubine, she was a full wife. As this is the only reference to her as a concubine, we may posit that just as Lavan never learned of the maids attaining full wife status, the children themselves may never have gotten clarification on the matter as well. For Uven, Bilhah was a concubine of Yaakov. And in our earlier analysis of how she became his wife, the artificial physical aspect of the relationship is what spurred the union to Bilhah. Commentators are split on whether Uven actually sleeps with Bilhah or simply switched beds in trying to control Yaakov's sleeping patterns. Rav Yosef Bechoshor opines he actually slept with her, and Rashi opts for the bed-switching understanding. But what would move Reuven to carry out such an act? What was Reuven possibly thinking? From later references in the Nevi'im, the taking of a leader's concubine, or that of a former ruler, carries with it the defiance and aspiration to become the next leader. We see this by Avner and by Avshalom. Reuven's act, therefore, can be seen as one of defiance and rebellion. According to this understanding, Reuven seeks to replace Yaakov. Yet why would he feel that he needed to do that? It seems understanding that it was only Yaakov who traveled onwards beyond Migdal Eder in order to be alone makes the circumstances surrounding Reuven's actions clearer. Rachel dies, and Yaakov travels on alone, leaving the rest of the family behind. Reuven feels a sense of abandonment and neglect, with Yaakov's parental authority already shaken by the events at the city of Shechem, Reuven reasons, Is not my mother good enough for my father that Rachel's death should move him so? Are not all his wives equal in his eyes? Does he no longer have children? He still has all of us. How could he just leave? Were Yaakov to have gone for a short time, Reuven may have understood, but the text relates, It was when Yisrael dwelled in that land. It is Yisrael alone who dwelled, settled in that land. Yaakov is unable to snap out of his depression. 
He remains forlorn and despondent, searching for a new raison d'etre. The camp he leaves behind is directionless, and Reuven reasons that Yaakov will not imminently return. As eldest, he must therefore assume the leadership position. By laying with Bilha, he will force the situation. Yaakov will either remain aloof and dejected, and Reuven will assume the leadership, or Yaakov will return to regain control of the family. Reuven selects his tactic very carefully. He is sensitive, perhaps more than the others, to the dynamics that existed between Rachel and Leah. He was, in fact, the only one who witnessed the exchange between the sisters regarding the Dudaim years earlier in Padan Aram. He heard the tenor of that dialogue and their agreement-disagreement. As a son of Leah, he understands the misgivings of Shimon and Levi as they challenge Yaakov's loyalties at the city of Shechem. Reuven chooses the act that, in his opinion, will not only resolve the immediate crisis of Yaakov's absence, but will also resolve the underlying conflict between Yaakov and the sons of Leah. Yaakov's absence has heightened the disparity between Rachel and Leah. Reuven sleeps with Bilhah, who, as Rachel's maid, is the closest substitute for Rachel at this point, or the woman most closely associated with her. Upon Yaakov's return, Yaakov will have grounds to sever the family asunder forever. He could oust Reuven for his rebellious act and clearly indicate Rachel's primary matron's status. As Nitziv and Abarbanel point out, Yaakov actively decides not to ostracize Reuven for this matter, although he could have. Faced with choosing between emotional honesty and pragmatic stability, Yaakov once again remains silent for the sake of family unity. However, Reuven's plan for family unity and equality backfires. By coercing the sexual patterns of Yaakov and his wives, he only reinforces the original resentment that caused the disunity and fragmentation in the first place, i.e. the conjugal switch. However, despite aggravating Yaakov's resentment, Yaakov's fury is quashed as he opts for family unity and pragmatic silence. The abrupt pause in the middle of the verse by Yishma Yisrael, which has a pause mid-sentence, a rare occurrence in the Bible, can demonstrate Yaakov's restraint from saying what he wanted to say and to allow the flow into the next verse by Yubine Yaakov Shenemasar. The Malbim explains that the word Vayishma here means he understood. And the verse can be read Vayishma Yisrael Vayubine Yaakov Shenemasar. And Yisrael understood that he had 12 sons, meaning he understood they are all his children, including Reuven. B'nei Le'ah b'chor Yaakov Reuven. Pesukim chaf gimel t'chavav. B'nei Le'ah b'chor Yaakov Reuven, v'shimon v'levi v'yehuda v'yisachar u'zvulun, b'nei Rachel, Yosef u'benyamin, u'b'nei Bilhah shifchat Rachel, Dan v'naftali, u'b'nei Zilpah shifchat Le'ah, Gad v'asher, ele b'nei Yaakov v'shiyudad lo b'fadan aram. The sons of Le'ah. Yaakov's firstborn, Reuven, and Shimon, and Levi, and Yehuda, and Yisachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Yosef, and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid, Gad, and Asher. These are the sons of Yaakov who were born to him in Padan Aram. The end of the Pasuk there, Yishayulad lo Befadan Aram, Depending on how long Yaakov was in Sukkot and Shechem, perhaps Rachel was also pregnant with Binyamin when leaving Padan Aram, thus she couldn't arise for Lavan, so that this reference to all the children being in, born in Padan Aram could be taken literally. At least Binyamin will have been conceived in Padan Aram. Or if not, Binyamin is meant to be excluded from the description of being born in Padan Aram, and the text presumes that we just read about Binyamin's birth seven psukim ago, so we know better than to think Binyamin is included. Reuven's act and this listing is what this section has to do with the Bechorah. It's Reuven's Bechorah that is at stake. And that, this is what I referred to earlier in tweaking the Yaakov cycle reference to Bechorah in this section as well. Indeed, in the Yamim, this episode is described as what strips Reuven of his firstborn status, similar to what we understand from Bechorah. Yaakov. 
היא חברון אשר גרשם אברהם ויצחק, ויהיו ימי יצחק מאת שנה ושמונים שנה, ויגבה יצחק בימות, ויאסף אל עמיו זקן ושבע ימים, ויגברו אותו עשיו ויעקב בניו. And Yaakov came to Yitzchak his father in Mamre at Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Yitzchak had sojourned. And Yitzchak's days were 180 years, and Yitzchak breathed his last and died. And was gathered to his kin, old and sated with years. And Esav and Yaakov, his sons, buried him. Realizing perhaps the value of seeing your loved ones and the opportunities missed that cannot be recaptured with the death of Rachel, Yaakov finally heads to his father's home. The patient reader has traveled along with Yaakov for four prakim and over 20 years to finally return home. And we are sorely disappointed because not one word is said about the heartwarming or heartbreaking reunion of father and son. As conjecture, we can suggest that the text continuously presents Yaakov on the verge of tranquility, only yet to be disturbed again. And this absence of a reunion keeps our view of Yaakov as constantly in tension and prepares us as we begin the Yosef saga. Furthermore, perhaps there was no watershed event and nothing was worthy of reporting. But if we look really hard, the text gives us a few crumbs, and sometimes in life you love and crave those crumbs. The text tells us that Yaakov and Esav, his sons, buried him, as opposed to the pre-blessing stage where Yaakov was her son and Esav his son, now they were both Yitzchak's sons. And the order of the sons is Esav and then Yaakov, that Esav retained his status as the first son, and that the harmony between the brothers lasted even after Yaakov returned home is something that we can cull from the text. We now arrive at the closing lists of Esav. There are six different lists. It will be important to pay attention when the text breaks from the listings and tells us new information. The first list is the children of Esav listed by wife, פסוקים א' ח' in פרק ל"ו. ואלה תולדות עשיו הוא אדום. These are the genealogies of עשיו, he is אדום. עשיו לקח את נשיו בנות כנען, את עדה בתלון החיתי, ואת הליבמה בתנה בצבון החיבי. עשיו took his wives from the daughters of the land of כנען, he names the names, ואת בסמת בת ישמעאל אחות נביות, he also married someone from the descendants of ישמעאל. As we remember, in addition to his wives, And Ada bore to Esav Eliphaz, while Basmat bore Reuel, and Alibama bore Yehush and Yalam in Korach. These are the sons of Esav who were born to him in the land of Canaan. So in Pasuk Bet, we see he has three wives, two Canaanite wives and one Ishmaelite wife, Sukim Vav and Zayn. Vayikach Esav et Nashav et Banav ve et Benotav ve et kol nafshot beto ve et Meknehu ve et kol Behemto ve et kol Kenyano asher rachash ve Eretz Kenaan ve yelech el Eretz mepene Yaakov Achiv. כי היה רכושם רב משבט יחדיו, ולא היה חילה ארץ מגוריהם לשאת אותם מפני מקניהם. And Esav took his wives, and his sons, and his daughters, and all the folk of his household, and his livestock, and all his cattle, and all the goods he had gotten in the land of Canaan, and he went to another land away from Yaakov his brother. For their substance was too great for dwelling together, and the land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So these sukim are a break in the action. It seems to contradict what we read earlier. When the brothers reunited, they seemingly never went back to Canaan together. What is being referred to here? Well, this verse is the answer about what the big favor was that Yaakov was asking of Esav. Yeah, you thought I forgot about that. Well, I didn't. Yaakov is informing Esav of his camp. Vahili shor vahamor son ve'eved v'shivcha And later when he said, is Yaakov's way of asking Esav to move out of Canaan, to allow him to return home. 
Yaakov initially may have never intended to even reunite with Esav. Esav had set up provisional camp, maybe like a summer residence in Seir, to visit his in-laws, that's where they're from, but had not moved his family there permanently. Now, after Esav received half of Yaakov's wealth as compensation, Esav would move there permanently. So Yaakov doesn't go home right away, not only because it's emotionally difficult, but because there would be no physical room for everything. He waits until Esav has all the time in the world to gather his family, belongings, and make the move to Seir, which could take some time. Esav also needs to be able to get along with the local Horites before planting himself down there. Psukim het to Yud Dalet. Ve'yeshev Esav behar Seir Esav hu'edom, ve'ele toladot Esav avi edom behar Seir, ele shemot b'nei Esav, Eliphaz ben Adai eshet Esav, Reu'eb ben Basmat eshet Esav, Vayu ben Eliphaz, Teman Omar, Sefo vegata muknaz, Vetemna hayta pilegesh l'Eliphaz ben Esav, Vatelad l'Eliphaz et Amalek, Ele ben Eada eshet Esav, Ve'ele ben Ereo'el, Nahat bazerach shema umiza, Ele hayu ben Basmat eshet Esav, Ve'ele hayu ben Eolibama batana batzivon eshet Esav, Vatelad l'Esav et Yehush ve'et Yalam ve'et Korach. And Esav settled in the high country of Seir, Esav that is Edom, and this is the lineage of Esav, father of Edom, in the high country of Seir. These are the names of the sons of Esav, Eliphaz, son of Adah, Esav's wife, Reuel, son of Basmat, Esav's wife. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman Omar, Svavagatam, and Kenaz. And Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, son of Esav, and she bore to Eliphaz Amalek. These are the sons of Adah, Esav's wife. And these are the sons of Reuel, Nachat ben Zerach, Shammai and Mizah. These were the sons of Basmat, Esav's wife. And these were the sons of Esav's wife, Ahlibama, daughter of Anna, son of Sivon. She bore to Esav, Yehush, Yalam, and Korah. So we get a listing of Esav's children, but here they're in Seir. It looks repetitive, but telling us that the main identity, once he is there, is Edom. He loses his name, Esav. The Pasuk tells us, Ve'yeshev Esav behar Seir, once he goes to Har Seir, Esav hu Edom, he becomes Edom. And while in Canaan the list follows the mothers, which gives us a sense of ancestry and continuity, the list now follows the children, as individuals with no tradition, no Masoret. And while everyone in Canaan is related to their mother, and it repeats Bat and Benot in verses Psukim, Bet and Gimel five times, we have Benot Kenaan, Bat Elon, Bat Ana, Bat Sivon, Bat Yishmael. The stress in Seir is on the son and the father of Avi Adom. And Ben appears ten times in the list. And Bat only appears twice. We get Avi Adom, Ben Yaush, Ben Ada, Ben Basmat, Ben Eliphaz, Ben Esav, Ben Ada, Ben Reuel, Ben Basmat, Ben Alibama. And in addition to this difference between sons and daughters, we also get the difference between Nashav in the first list versus Eshet in this list. In the first list, we have Esav Lakach et Nashav and Vayikach Esav et Nashav. And in this list, we get Eliphaz ben Ada Eshet Esav, Reuel ben Basmat Eshet Esav, El ben Ada Eshet Esav, Ben Basmat Eshet Esav, Ben Alibama. So she isn't a woman, like Nashav implies, she's just the wife of, much less a family and much more individualistic. It's also more male-dominant. All of this represents a new and different culture into which Esav is being acculturated. From these psukim, we also see that Esav has 12 plus 1 grandkids, which somewhat corresponds to Yaakov having 12 plus 1 girl children. And in verse 12, you'd bet, we get mention of Amalek, our arch-nemesis, born to Esav's grandson and his Pilegish Timnah, 
who was from the Chori people, as we will see in a future list. Psukim Tetvav until Yutet is a third list here of the chieftains, the Alufim. Pasuk Tetvav. Ele Alufe Bnei Esav, Bnei Eliphaz Bechor Esav, Aluf Teman, Aluf Amar, Aluf Sefo, Aluf Kenaz, Aluf Korach, Aluf Gatam, Aluf Amalek. Ele Alufe Eliphaz Be'eret Edom, Ele Bnei Ada, Ve'ele Bnei Reuel Bnei Esav, Aluf Nahat, Aluf Zerach, Aluf Shema, Aluf Miza. Ele Alufe Reuel Be'eret Edom, Ele Bnei Basmat Eshet Esav, Ve'ele Bnei Aoli Bama Eshet Esav, Aluf Yaush, Aluf Yalam, Aluf Korach. Ele Alufe Aoli Bama Batana Eshet Esav, Ele Bnei Esav, Ve'ele Alufehem. These are the chieftains of the sons of Esav, the sons of Eliphaz, firstborn of Esav, the chieftain of Teman, chieftain of Moab, the chieftain of Tzvot, chieftain of Knaz, chieftain of Korach, chieftain of Gatam, the chieftain Amalek. These are the chieftains of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. And these are the sons of Reuel, son of Esav. The chieftain Nachat, the chieftain Zerach, the chieftain Shema, the chieftain Mizah. These are the chieftains of Reuel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basmat, Esav's wife. And these are the sons of Alibama, Esav's wife. The chieftain Yeush, the chieftain Yalam, the chieftain Korach. These are the chieftains of Alibama, Dorovana, Esav's wife. These are the sons of Esav, that is Edom. And these, their chieftains. So here the mention of lineage gets pushed out even further to the very end of list. Things. The formula we've been reading is basically aluf this, aluf this, aluf that, and then you get a pre-summary that says ele alufe. These are the chieftains of so and so, and finally ele bene ada or Ele Bene Basmat Eshet Esav, or Ele Alufe Ali Bama. The names of the individuals grow more pronounced, and the ties to the ancestry fades further and further away to a, something that gets just a brief mention at the end. The fourth list, Psukim Chaftalamid, are the genealogies of a new player, the original inhabitants of Seir before Esav got there, the Hori, also known as the Hittites, possibly also the Chivites. Let's take a look. Ele Bene Seir Hori Yoshve Haaretz, Lotan Veshoval Vesivon Vana, Vedishon, Veetzer, Vedishan, Ele Alufea Hori Bene Seir Beeretz Edom, Veyu Bene Lotan Hori Vehemam, Vahot Lotan Timna, that's Timna we read about before, Veele Bene Shoval, Alvanu Manahad Veeval, Shefo Veonam, Veele Bene Sivon Veayava Ana, Hu Ana, אשר מצא את הימים במדבר, בראותו את החמורים לצבעון אביו. ואלה בני ענה דישון, ואלי במה בתנה, ואלה בני דישן, חמדן וישבן מיצען וחרן, ואלה בני עצר, בנהן וזעבן ועקן, אלה בני דישן וצבערן. These are the sons of Seir the Horite, who had settled in the land. לוטן and שובל and צבעון and ענה and דישון and עצר and דישן. These are the Horite chieftains, sons of Seir in the land of Edom. And the sons of לוטן were Hori and Hamam, and לוטן's sister was Timna. And these are the sons of Shoval, Alvan and Menachat and Eval, Shefo and Onam. And these are the sons of Sivon, Aya and Anna. And he is Anna, who found the water in the wilderness when he took the donkeys of his father, Sivon, to graze. And these are the children of Anna, Dishon and Alibama, daughter of Anna. And these are the sons of Dishon, Chemdan and Eshban, Nitran and Khran. These are the sons of Eter, Bilhan and Zaban and Akan. These are the sons of Dishan, Utz and Aran. I bother reading through the lists even though they're lists so we can see when their psukim break from the listing and we have such an item here in Pasuk Chaf Dalet. As Dat Mikra points out, Alibama was the daughter of Anna who was the one who found the water in the desert i.e. he struck oil, he was rich. So she was the daughter of with great lineage. She was the great granddaughter of Seir himself. She married Esav. So Esav's marriage also was the beginning of a political union. And ostensibly, he was always going back and forth to that geographic location to visit her family. The Chori also had Alufim. Ele Alufe HaChori. Aluf Lotan, Aluf Shobar, Aluf Sivon, Aluf Ana, Aluf Dishon, Aluf Etzer, Aluf Dishan, Ele Alufe HaChori, Le Alufehem Be'eret Seir. These are the Horite chieftains. The chieftain Lotan, chieftain Shobar, chieftain Sivon, chieftain Ana, chieftain Dishon, chieftain Ezer, chieftain Dishan. These are the Horite chieftains by their clans in the land of Seir. The Chori has, uh, have Alufim. There are 
seven of them, they're to be compared with Esav's 14 alufim. Esav is the newcomer, but he's managed to overtake the locals in terms of power and influence by a ratio of 2 to 1. We now get to the fifth of the sixth list of the Edomite kings. Sukim Lamed Aleph 2 Lamed Tet. Ve'ele ha-melachim asher malchu be'eretz Edom lifnei melach melech lifnei Yisrael. Ve'imloch be'edom bela ben be'or v'shem iro den hava v'yamod bala. Ve'imloch tachtav yuva ben zerach mibotra. ויעמוד יובב, וימלוך תחתיו חושם מארץ התימני, ויעמוד חושם, וימלוך תחתיו הדד בן בדד, המקיים בדיין בשדה אדום, ושם עירו אבית, ויעמוד הדד, וימלוך תחתיו סמלה ממסרקה, ויעמוד סמלה, וימלוך תחתיו שאול מרחובות הנהר, ויעמוד שאול, וימלוך תחתיו בעל חנן בן אחבור, ויעמוד בעל חנן בן אחבור, וימלוך תחתיו הדר, ושם עירו פאו, ושם אשתו מהתאבל בת מטרד בת מי זהב. These are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. And Bela son of Beor reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinhava. And Bela died, and Yobav son of Zerach from Botra reigned in his stead. And Yobav died, and Chusham from the land of the Temanite reigned in his stead. And Husham died, and Hadad, son of Bedad, reigned in his stead, who struck down Midian on the step of Moab, and the name of his city was Avit. And Hadad died, and Samla of Masrikah reigned in his stead. And Samla died, and Shaul from Rehovot of the river reigned in his stead. And Shaul died, and Baal Hanan of Achbor reigned in his stead. And Baal Hanan, son of Achbor, died, and Hadad reigned in his stead, and the name of his city was Pau. And the name of his wife was Mehetabel, daughter of Matred, daughter of Mezahab. So we read that Edom had kings, but there's no dynasty, as there's never any succession from father to son. The text tells us that the list takes up to the ta- takes us up to the time when there was a king for Am Yisrael, and the commentators are split in understanding this verse. Rav Yosef Bechor suggests that perhaps it listed all of Esav's kings until the time of Shaul, and this pasuk was written in a nevuah to Moshe. Presumably, also, no one shared this insider information from Back to the Future with any of the Edomites. The Ramban says the list covered all Edomite kings until Moshe's time, which was still before Yisrael had a king. There would be more in the future, but these were for sure the kings before Yisrael had a king. Ibn Ezra says it refers until the time of Moshe, and Moshe himself was the king over Yisrael being referred to in this pasuk because a king here refers to a national leader. Ibn Ezra also lambastes Rashi, who he understood as saying the Pasuk was written in the time of Yehoshaphat. And he writes, Yitzchaki, already derogatory for the Rashi, whose name would be Shlomo Yitzchaki. So, Yitzchaki amar besifro, ki Yehoshaphat zot And Ibn Ezra says, Vechalila chalila shehadavar ka'asher diber al yamei Yehoshaphat. God forbid it should be like he said that it was about the days of Yehoshaphat. And then he adds, Vesifro ra'ui lehisaref. And his wor- book is worth burning. Ouch. So honestly, the girsah we have today in Rashid doesn't necessarily read that way, which to me means that there's a girsah issue here with someone probably toning down Rashid to minimize the criticism. But the list that we have are to emphasize that Edom has kings, but they're not in a dynasty. Psukim Mem to Mem Gimel. This is our sixth and final list, the list of Alufim of Esav again. But the Dat Mikra points out that this time the list goes by geographic location, which mentions and emphasizes fortified cities. Pasuk Mem. Ve'ele shemot alufei esav lemishpechotam limkomotam bishmotam aluf timna aluf alva aluf yatet aluf alibama aluf ela aluf pinon aluf kenaz aluf teman aluf mivsal aluf magdi ela aluf iram ele alufei edom lemoshvotam be'eretz achuzatam hu esav 
of Edom. And these are the names of the chieftains of Esav by their clans and places, name by name. The, the chieftain of Timnah, the chieftain Alva, the chieftain Yetet, the chieftain of Alibama, the chieftain Elah, the chieftain Pinon, the chieftain Kenaz, the chieftain Teman, the chieftain Mifsad, the chieftain Magdiel, the chieftain Iram. These are the chieftains of Edom by their settlements in the land of their holdings. That is Esav, father of Edom. So now that we've completed the entire set of lists, why is all of this here and what do we learn? We see that Esav moved away from Canaan to Seir, but instead of maintaining his unique identity, he subsumed the foreign name, Edom, and assimilated with the local population, the Chori in Seir. He intermarried, adopted their values, they had individual focus and less family-oriented values, their stress on ancestry faded, and it will also allow him to separate from his parents. And all this is here to have us ask, how will Yaakov and his children fare? Will his children assimilate to the culture around them? We are meant to buck the system. Everyone grants the Bechor a special status. We don't always do that. Everyone worships Avodazara. We don't. All the Goyim are sleeping with anyone and anything, regardless of how many legs it has, and we don't. What will happen to Am Yisrael in settling the land in Canaan, in going to Galut? Will we be able to maintain our identity? Well, you can stay tuned for Dr. Abigail Rock and the Yosef Saga, where that issue will be addressed as Yosef goes to Mitzrayim. And that leads us back to the Yaakov cycle. Now that we are complete, we see that the cycle is a chiastic structure encased with toldot, and I kept bringing it up for two reasons. Number one, it shows that we need to lift our natural blinders that confine us to looking at one pasuk at a time, or one perik, or one parasha at a time, Think big. Dare analyze large units of text and find an overarching theme. Secondly, the Yosef saga will take up more prakim than any other story in Bereshit. But the chiastic structure that Fishbane sets out illustrates that the center of the entire Yaakov cycle is the birth of Yosef. And this is a fundamental insight that you must take with you as you begin your Yosef saga. The story of Yosef does not start in Perek Lamed Zayin. It started before he was born. We already saw numerous occasions of preferential treatment before any cult and before any grandiose dreams. All of Yaakov's life is bundled into that boy, and the cycle drives this point home in a powerful way. A quick thanks to Jesse Salem and all the people behind this great project, Mezakeh Harabim. They were also Mezakeh me to spend many more hours in learning and in this wild ride. Now I have to leave this guy and get back to Israeli real estate and help people buy a portion in Olam Haba like the Ibn Ezra taught us. Thank you also to Deborah Geller for filling in for me and so seamlessly combining erudite scholarship and deep spirituality. And most importantly, thanks to all of you, the downloaders. You're what makes this all go around. Keep asking the hard questions, keep demanding good answers, and most importantly, keep listening. You can do this. And to steal how Hakam of Zatzal would sign off a radio program, Tavo Gadishi signing off and saying Shabbat Shalom.